Welcome into the Original Gangsters podcast. We are coming to you live with another Zoom edition. I am your host, Scott Bernstein, along with my co-host, the doctor, James Buccellato. And we got Benny behind the glass uh, on the wheels of steel. And we're going to bring in a very special guest, someone uh, that is a true OG, uh, John (laughs) Quinesi. A uh, former New York mob button man uh, turned uh, blogger, content uh, producer. I'm sure there's a ton more in, you know, in the wheelhouse slash in the queue for uh, Mr. Panisi coming uh, coming down the pike. Uh, we, we're going to bring John on and we're going to discuss some uh, current breaking news. Maddie DeNaro, the uh, number one most wanted mob suspect in the world. Uh finally caught after 30 years in Sicily, uh, going uh, into a, a cancer treatment in Palermo. And we're going to break it down with John. And then we're going to get into kind of the modern day state of his former crime family, uh, the Lucchese's. So John, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, you know, Jimmy, this is really more of Jimmy's uh, um, specialty in terms of the Sicilian stuff. So I, Jimmy, why don't you give everybody like a primer on who Maddie DeNaro was? And why this is, you know, this is generating global headlines. It was on the, you know, the front page of all the New York uh, news rags in the last couple of days, which shows you that if it's happening in Europe and we're getting, you know, getting headlines in New York, it, you know, it shows you that the reach of this story. Yeah, Denaro is a, a mafia boss from the province of Tropani, and he has a, a deep pedigree. His father was a big shot mafioso back in the day. And uh, Denaro and his family sided with Toto Riina during the big mafia wars of, of the 80s and, and early 90s. A very bloody, I mean, hundreds of people were killed. And so for a long time, Corleone was the center of power in, in terms of mafia politics in Sicily, where, where it used to be Palermo traditionally. And so people that were close to Riina also benefited from that. And so Denaro was... Um, I wouldn't say he was the capo di tutti capi, like in a formal sense. I, I don't I don't think that's true um, in terms of like an actual title. But de facto, I think that once once Provenzano and Totorina and those guys died off, Denaro became, I think, the de facto most powerful Don in Sicily. And so he was on the run for a long time and you know, 30 years on the lamb. And one thing I, I would like to ask John, not only his, his general uh, sense, but in my view, this is not something that I have like insight. I mean, in terms of like direct information, but my sense, my intuition tells me that he was hiding in plain sight for the last 30 years. I've, it's difficult for me to believe, John, that with drones and and wiretaps and 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 you know people talking, that that they had no idea where he was for for the last 30 years so but anyhow that's my take so john i'm curious to hear what what you think about this breaking story yeah i've mentioned before that instead of going out of italy the reason why he's and he has traveled out of italy the reason why he stayed he stood where he knows you know where he knows the people where he's protected where he had a network of people helping him that's why he's he stood where he was but um hiding in plain sight sometimes i guess is the best way to go it worked for him and it worked for all you know all three bosses himself Patorina, and provenzano all were caught in sicily so what does that tell you yeah yeah they uh, I, I think that they probably were insulated 
and and that the state, I'm guessing, either knew where he was and and looked the other way, or they or they just weren't looking very hard. <laughs> and and either way, it, it tells me that there's still some problems in the Italian state in terms of this criminal political nexus. You know, people that are interconnected with organized crime elements in in the government in Italy. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, it, there's a lot of corruption with their with their politicians there. Yeah, and and would you say my sense is that again, this is an unfolding story, so I'm I'm just speculating here. With all in all fairness, um, Scott was texting me. You know, what, how do you think this went down? I wouldn't be surprised. It would be interesting to hear what John thinks and Scott, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone in the organization gave him up because they knew he was vulnerable. He's he's has cancer. And if someone didn't give him up, knowing that they could ascend now, they could they could rise to the top position uh, with him out of the way, and maybe some agreement with the government that the government now has lays off of me for at least a while because I gave up I gave up Denaro. Is that plausible? I mean, anything's possible. I I just don't. From what I gathered, it's not how it's not how he was. Caught. I don't believe anyone turned him in. He was caught basically from his family and associates speaking a on the phone, talking about cancer and treatments for cancer, and b they had their computers tapped as well, and they were googling you know cures and treatments. So that set off alarms by the investigators, and they you know they looked into it. How long, was, they, how long do you think they had him under surveillance before they grabbed him? They got him at the hospital in Palermo, either about to receive or following receiving his his uh, chemo treatment. Well, the the thing that the thing that I found out is that first of all, is he made a very very big blunder. If you're gonna use someone's ID, do not use the ID of the son of a boss. <laughs> and that's basically what he did. He used the boss's son's ID. And he does look very, he does look pretty close, his identity to that guy, right? And what they did is, and I've mentioned it in, in my uh, video, that when, when they narrowed down this list of names of can cancer patients with his birth year, uh, 1962, they narrowed a list down to five people, right? Out of those five people, they picked this name out and they seen that this person had gone to two treatments. And what they did with this mobile mapping where they were able to get the guy's phone and then map out where he was on those dates and find out that this guy was nowhere near this hospital in Palermo, that set off even louder bells for them. And that's how they narrow them down. As far as surveillance, they went into the system and, and came up with that he's due for another chemo treatment. And that's when I think that they, they set everything up. Because remember at that point, they're not 100% sure, but they do have the guy's address. They did know his address. Why they didn't pick him up at the house, I don't know, because they, they did know the address. He's under living in a house under an address that this this guy's name is the owner of the house. I don't know, did they surveil the house? They had to, right? Did they, did they 
Why didn't they pick them up at the house? I don't know, but they, I guess they figured the best place to grab them is, is in the hospital. Oh, also, let me ask you, John, do you think the politics of the situation, is it, um, as far as I can tell, Denaro is one of the last holdouts from the Tota Riina era. It, would you say the power shift is now totally back to Palermo, the, the old school, like in, in Zerillo's and, and those uh, old school clans? I I would I would go out of limb and say that that's where it's going to be. Yeah, that the power is going to be back in Palermo. Uh, do I know that for a fact? No, but he was the last from that regime, that total regime. Regime um, supposedly uh, right before Provenzano gets caught, captured, he handed over a treasure trove of documents to uh, the Nero. They haven't found it yet. They, I, I don't know if you know that they found this second hideout. I don't believe, so it was a mile away from where he was living, they find this bunker. And, but the documents weren't in the bunker. They feel that somebody cleaned up when they heard news of his arrest, which is probably the case. But I don't think, he had only one hideout, you know, he, he probably did. There's probably going to find out that they had more. He probably had 30. Yeah. I mean, guy for the had... on the run for three decades, even though I, I tend to agree with Jimmy that I have a hard time buying that the law enforcement and the, and the government didn't have any clue where this guy was, but. Yeah. Well, look, look at the hospital. He's posing with a picture of one of the nurses, a male nurse in the hospital, right? You you mean to tell me that guy didn't know who he was? They're going after the, his the oncologist right now because supposedly the oncologist had to do some kind of DNA, which would have exposed his true identity. So they, he's under investigation. The nurse is going to be under investigation. The guy who rented the house is under investigation. You know, this is all the guy who owns the house where the bunker was is on the, under investigation. So it's opening up a whole can of worms. Uh, it, it Another thing that I suspect, and I know you've talked about this on your show, John, that it's another indication that not only that the power shifting from the Totorina allies to Palermo, but more generally across Italia, the power shifting from Sicily to Calabria. Absolutely. <laughs> that seems the power, the, has, the power has shifted from Sicily to Calabria. They, they, I spoke to somebody that was just in Calabria not long ago. And that person had told me that Calabria now is worse than Palamo in its heyday. And, and in the 80s, you just mentioned all the people that were killed. I think it was up to almost a thousand people killed that, that were not only part of Cosa Nostra, there was judges, there was civilians, there was associates. You know, law enforcement, there was a lot of people killed. For someone to make that statement who that Calabria is worse than Palamo in his heyday, that's a big statement to make. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, sad for those of us, uh, you know, Italian-American. I mean, just for anyone, but those of us who care about, you know, the, about Italy and that part of the, the world. But um, just a little uh, um, context for... Uh, my own situation with this, uh, I know Denaro was uh, one of the, you talking about the bloodshed in the nineties. 
he was one of the conspirators who plotted the the murder of Feligi Bucciolato in 1992 in Castellamare, who was uh, Feligi Bucciolato is one of my dad's, you know, distant cousins. And that's where we're from, Castellamare. And uh, the Bucciolatos were part of the old the old families there, like in Zerillo, Badalamente. Yep. And and Totorina wanted to cleanse, you know, you know, neutralize that. So even even in the 90s, they were still they were still killing uh, members of those old older families. So, um, it, you know, it's a lot of a uh, lot of uh, bloodshed and you know a lot of tragedy with surrounding this individual. Well, he's he's directly linked to uh, Giovanni Falcone, Paolo mm-hmm. Mussolino, those those bombings. He uh, is involved with killing the young boy, the twelve-year-old boy. I think he's. Uh, what's the name? That, that was an Inzerillo too, wasn't it? Wasn't wasn't that the? No, no, no. Inzerillo's son was killed as well. Yeah, but this was the. Um, I forget his father's name, but his his father became a cooperator, and they they kidnapped his son. They held him for like seven hundred something days. Right. They killed him and put him in acid as well. He's he was also involved in all the bombings in Italy. They they even bombed, I believe, a uh, museum. It was one of the bombings, killing innocent people. He killed the uh, he killed one of the bosses from Trapani. He he killed his twenty year old pregnant girlfriend. They strangled her. He was involved in some brutal murders. Yeah, that was uh, Milazzo from uh, Vincenzo Milazzo from Alcamo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they they and and it shows you the precarious nature of that world. Milazzo actually was had sided with Totorina, and it still didn't matter. It, they turned on each other. They started turning on each other by the nineties. He was a key player in the nineteen eighties with them with the with the Palamo situation. Yeah, Palamo right. Was on SI. Yeah, yeah. So they started turning on each other, right? And they they killed him and his uh, and his girlfriend. So yeah, very very uh, a treacherous world. He also killed a, a manager of a hotel where he was dating. I think she was an Austrian girl, young girl, who m- made comments that he to the girl that she, he didn't like that this guy was she was dating him. He was older. He, they took him out. <laughs> he went to he waited for the girl to go back to visit her relatives in her country. And they pulled up and shotgun the guy. Yeah, that that shows you that it goes against the old saying. Remember, was it Bugsy Siegel? At least according to urban legend, who said we only kill our own, right? Like, like if you're a civilian, you don't have anything to worry about. Well, things may be more complicated than That's that. That's the way it's supposed to be. But they they took to killing civilians when they declared war on a state, right? Back in the eighties, Totorina. That he didn't. Everybody it didn't matter to him if you were civilian, you weren't a civilian. You know, they just declared war. So now we're going to shift uh, to uh, America, North America, and um, what's going on in New York City. We're going to uh, go back to John's former crime family, Lucchese's, and do a little, uh, we've been touching on kind of the, the I call them like State of the Unions. Uh, last, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we did uh, where the Gambinos sit today. Uh, with the Sicilian faction taking power over the last decade uh, to, to 15 years. And uh, we're going to go back before we leave. We want to get John's take on some of that stuff. But first, let's just do maybe uh, 10, 15, 20 minutes on where the Lucchese crime family is today. John, kind of in terms of the news that 
broke a couple of years ago uh, related to the modern, or at least the modern day state as of a couple of years ago, uh, really came from John and, and John's information related to this kind of bloodless coup that was launched from behind bars. Uh, Vic Amuso, the longtime boss of the Lucchese's, uh, who's been running the family in some fashion or another from prison since around 1991. And uh, he's had series of front bosses. And in 2017, he took out his entire administration and replaced them um, via a letter. Um, so let's just, John, why don't you talk about how you got introduced into the, you know, I know we talked a little bit about this the first time that you were uh, on the podcast, talked about Maddie Madonna, but maybe in, in this, you know, talk a little bit about how you got introduced into this particular faction that's running the family today, specifically Big Mike DeSantis, Patty Red, Della Russo, and Andrew DeSimone. Oh, well, as far as um, Patty and Mikey, um, Patty was introduced to me through one of his guys, which is uh, Louis, Louis Jack Ampero. And I met Louis through Johnny Sideburns. Louis owned a, a collision place. Johnny Sideburns was having some work done on his, on his car. And that's how I met Louie and we became close. We were both out in Long Island and we started hanging around together. But I originally met Patty up in the Bronx at the club, but I got started staying with Patty through Louie. You know, I met Patty as a friend, obviously in the Bronx and was introduced to him at, at the Ottawa Social Club in the Bronx. But Mikey DeSantis, I met because they put him in our crew, which is the Brooklyn faction, because he had problems with Carmine Avellino. He was in the Long Island faction at one time. He didn't get along with Carmine. Patty also was in Carmine's crew at one time. Patty didn't get along with Carmine. A lot of guys didn't get along with Carmine. I happened to get along with him. Um, that's how I met Mikey. Uh, they put him in our crew. So, uh Mikey DeSantis is a guy that was known as an enforcer, right? I mean, earlier in his career, I know there was a situation with Al Diarco, um, who was an acting boss for, for Vic Amuso, who flipped. And he said the reason he flipped because he was in a hotel room when he saw DeSantis. And he, he, in his mind, did the math and figured that DeSantis was there to kill him. So he got out of the hotel room. So Mike DeSantis had a reputation, you know, 30 years ago as a tough guy, at some point in the last five, six, seven years, Vic Amuso made the decision to name him acting boss. What is that something that when you first met him, you saw Mike DeSantis as someone that had a boss material? No, I don't know about boss material, but I mean, he carried himself well. You know, when I met him, I liked the way he carried himself. He was always very respectful. Um, it wasn't, Vic, actually, it wasn't Vic that Ultimately, Vic made the decision, but it wasn't Vic's idea. They brought it to Vic, as you know, right? They they reached out to Vic and told him that they, there's going to be vacancy. <laughs> and and they, they did this because they didn't want the family's base of power to be in the Bronx anymore. That's why. So let's also let people know that the, the DeSantis, Della Russo, De Simone triumvirate that runs the family now, allegedly, uh, replaced Maddie Madonna 
and and Stevie Wonder Kriya, who were a, a couple real OGs that had uh, been kind of rising stars in the family, but got tripped up by a big racketeering murder case, murdering an old New York Purple Gang member, not the Detroit Purple Gang, who were the, the Jewish mob in Detroit, but the in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a group from the Bronx and Harlem that uh, kind of took that moniker from the Detroit Jewish guys and slapped it on themselves. They became kind of a JV mafia. Uh, a lot of a lot of big shot callers came up from the Purple Gang ranks, including Maddie Madonna. So Madonna and Kriya are going, are on their way to prison and the Brooklyn guys want to make sure that it's not Bronx guys replacing Kriya and Madonna. True, but Matt, first of all, is as far as Stevie goes, and that's Stevie Korea, I've never once heard anybody in the street call him Stevie Wonder. I know a lot of people refer to him like that. Right. I just want to set that down right. straight. Right. Secondly, Stevie was out there, Maddie and Joe Danapoli. Joe Danapoli was a consigliere. That was the administration. Maddie and Joe were in on the gambling case in New Jersey. So they were already off the street. Um, when the indictment came down, now Stevie was part of that indictment, and now the whole administration was out. So to answer your question, yes, there was, but the vacancies were Maddie Madonna, acting boss, Joe Danapoli, consigliere. Those were the first two vacancies because Stevie was out. So the other boss position was there. He was out. That's when the letter went to Vic, because those two positions, and that's where it started. That's where it started from because they knew had that letter not gone to Vic, Stevie would have put Bronx people in those positions, and the base of power still would have been in the Bronx. Brooklyn never liked the Bronx. You know that's that's known in the history, as far as the Lucchese family goes. So they didn't want that power to remain in the Bronx. And that's why they wrote to Vic, bringing the idea to him. This wasn't just something that he came up with, but he ultimately made the decision. Was there, was there any pushback or any possible, the belief that there could be pushback from, uh, from that Maddie, Stevie, Joe group? Well, the what we spoke about was that we were hoping that it was going to go smoothly the way it didn't. If it didn't, we were taking guys from the Bronx out. That was a definite. You were on the, just so people know, he was in the, John was in the Brooklyn faction. So he was in the faction that was taking over the power, Correct. not the faction that was being relieved of the power. No, we were, right. we were the guys that were making the move for power. And we discussed that if it does not go smoothly, we were taking certain guys in the Bronx out. Target number one was Stevie Creer. Now, was, was this something that, I know I'm, I'm in some ways asking the same question over again, but was, was Stevie Creer someone that ego was very bruised by this? Like, was he offended that Vic was sending word that you got to get out of the way? If he was, he didn't show it. He went along with it. And so. Maddie, same with Maddie Madonna? No, no, Matt, Maddie had no, Maddie, Maddie, just so you know, Maddie was already taken out of his position because it came to light that, and I've discussed it on, on, on my show, 
what happened is how this whole case came about was that this, this, um, let me think of his name. Bobby Spinelli. Okay. Bobby Spinelli was away with Vic, right? Bobby Spinelli and his brother, Michael Spinelli were in on the hit on Peter, the attempted hit on Pichiota's sister. Right. So uh, Vic knows this guy's going home, this Spinelli, writes a letter to Maddie, gives it to Spinelli, tells him, I want you to go home, make an appointment with Maddie, give him this letter. Spinelli gets out. The first thing he does is open up the letter. He reads it in the letter. Vic is telling Maddie that he wants him to give Spinelli a million dollars. Where the million dollars is coming from is the Avellinos sold their carding company and, and for 40 something million dollars and was giving, I think, 10% of it to the administration of the Lucchese family because Sal, Sally Avellino was on a shelf at the time. The reason he was on a shelf, they said he took a bad plea, which means that he admitted to his status as a, as a member of organized crime. He happens to be a real nice guy, but they put him on a shelf anyway. To get into the good graces, he offers up this 10% of this money. Vic tells Maddie, I want you to keep 2 million. I want 2 million to go to my wife and I want a million to go to Spinelli. And I, I don't know if that 2 million... To, to Maddie was for the administration or just for Maddie. I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that. So, and I also want you to straighten this kid out, right? This Spinelli. Maddie reads, gets the letter. It's now resealed, reads it and decides I'm not going to give this guy the money and I'm not straightening him out. Me tells the, tells the Spinelli, I'm going to meet with you. In another week, I'll get back to you. Meets with him in the following week. Doesn't tell him anything about, you know, getting straightened out. Doesn't mention anything about the money and tells him, we're going to get you a union job in construction. Now the guy's got to go to work. But not knowing that this guy read the letter. Eventually, the FBI had a source that was close to Spinelli and worked with him. Spinelli is complaining to this guy every day and mother effing Maddie, right? The sauce tells the FBI, you know, this is what's going on. They turn around and say, do you think that we could approach him? He says, oh, absolutely. They approach Spinelli. The first words out of Spinelli's mouth is, do you want me to wear a Y? I'll wear a Y for you. Because he wants to get revenge on Maddie. That's how the whole... Michael Melnish case happens is starts from Spinelli. So and Mel Melnish was the purple ganger correct. that uh, was at one point very close to Maddie Madonna, but started to uh, chafe underneath Maddie's thumb. And there was yeah. a woman involved and yes. he was you know, told to, uh, you know, hands off. And he basically sent word to Maddie Madonna to go fuck himself. And well, there was something else that happened, and I'm going to release it, but I'll just give you a little hint. I'll release it, and I'll tell you 
when we're offline that Mike, Mikey knows Mancuso did something that when, I, when people hear it, anyone who hears it will label him a rat. Absolutely 100% what he did is off the chart and especially off the charts and especially that he's a sitting boss today. And we did an episode, me and Jimmy, um, I, th I think kind of our, our first of these kind of state of the crime family episodes, we did one uh, with the Bananos, I want to say in no October or November. And uh, we talked about Mikey Nose and Mikey Nose was a purple ganger. Uh, the Bananos instead of the Lucases. Yes. Mikey Nose pulled a move against Michael Melnish that took my breath away. I couldn't believe that he did this. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it another time. But I'm just bringing you up to date. So what happened is, is that going back to Maddie, although he was on the case in, although he was doing time on the gambling case in uh, Jersey, he was already removed from his position indefinitely because it now came to light what he did with Spinelli and that he didn't listen to Vic's orders. So he was already done as far as being the acting boss. Joe DiNapoli's position was on hold because he was also doing time. That's when the letter was written to Vic. How, so at what point do you meet uh, Patty Red, Patty Del Russo, who became the underboss? Do you meet him in the uh, mid 2010s? No, no, no. I Patty, I meet Patty up up at the club in the Bronx. I'm introduced to him. I would say any sometime after 2013. Yeah, so right, 2010. In the yeah, and then we don't start staying together until after I start staying with one of his guys, Louis Jet, and then we start staying together in Long Island, and we start to become close and we see each other all the time. And this situation with the takeover doesn't take place until 2017. 17, right. Oh, some years later. So, yeah. Pat, just for people um, that aren't, you know, fully aware who, who Patty Red Della Russo is, uh, he came up in the Lucchese's oh. as a member of the Vario crew out of Brooklyn, uh, the, the crew that's um, chronicled in the movie Goodfellas. And uh, was a guy just like in the movie Goodfellas when they all work, you know, the, the best thing to do was to, you know, go rob the airport. If you needed money, it was better than Citibank. Well, uh, that was, you know, the line from the film. Um, Patty Del Russo worked his way up uh, to the point where by the late 80s, early 90s, he was in charge of all the Lucchese's rackets that were coming out of the airport. He was in the Teamsters Union, a lot of uh, air freight uh, racketeering. And uh, eventually back, uh, I think it was 93, he gets indicted and has to go do tears in prison, um, but uh, had made a name for himself uh, at the airport uh, with the Lucchese's. And then when he gets out of prison, I'm gonna turn back over to um, John. I think he, he transfers crews at that point. Doesn't he leave the Vario crew and go to someone else's crew? Louis Bagels? No, Patty, Patty was around. You no, know, you're the expert. No, I'm not, I just, Patty yeah. was around Louis Dedon, right? Louis Bagels. That's how Patty got straightened out. But then, don't forget, they all went away. When Patty got out, Patty was put with the Long Island crew with Carmine Avellino. Okay. But really got along with Carmine. 
he was with Carmine all the way until the transition. He was still in Carmine's crew. So was he in three different, did he start in the Vario crew, then goes oh, to Louis Bagels? Louis and them, those were the Vario. Those yeah, were the, Louis Bagels was part of the Vario's, okay. That was, the, that was their crew. So he he came up under Louis they don't, was straightened out through Louis they don't. Then when they all, like I said, went to prison, went away, when he came out, he went with the Long Island crew. He was put with the Long Island crew. So just tell us about, you know, what kind of guy is Patty Red? I know there was, you know, he, he has a reputation. A little you slippery. want me to curse, do you? No, you can curse. I know he's got a reputation of being slippery. Yeah. Patty is, my mother named him best. Uh, my mother named him Napoleon. She used to call him Napoleon because he's got that complex. And he is very, very, um, Patty always thought he was the smartest guy in the room. Patty was very underhanded and, you know, proved that to me in the end and was always jockeying to try and move himself into position. You know, that's, that's basically, that's basically him in a nutshell, you know. And the betrayal that you experienced was, was like a kind of a come to Jesus moment for you, right? Well, absolutely. Pat, Pat, Something else about Patty that a lot of people, I've said it, I've said it a few times before. Patty had all guys around him that belonged to other people. Like he, like, you know, he had he, guys that he stood with that he said were his, were, you know, belonged to him, were all with other people. And then he would, the guys that Patty had around him, that crew was with me every day. We would eat dinner. We would go out. You know, we were, we were with each other daily. And they got along with me very good. I treated them as equals. Patty looked down his nose at these people, you know. And I got along with them to the point that whenever I would see Patty, he would remind me that, you know, he's with me. You know, this guy's with me. And I used to say, Patty, you told me that last week. The guy's with you last week. He's with you this week. You don't have to keep telling me that. But so he was very insecure when it came to me because his guys got along with me and liked me and were with me more than him. You know, so that was just one of my experiences with him. As far as him turning, I think that Patty was a little nervous that I got along with Mikey at that time during this transition. And like I said, he was jockeying for position and he used a lot of what went on to his advantage. Instead of like, for me, if everything would happen with me was Patty instead of me, I go and tell Patty, let's go. You know, where it's like, I'm with you. What do you want to do? Let's go. And that meant whatever it meant. You want to go to war? We'll go to war. Let's go. Patty didn't do that. Patty, Patty didn't take my 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 side and didn't stand by my side. The reason being is, people could say what they want. I know the reason why. Patty took a back seat and figured, oh, this is great because I take him out of the way, and it elevates me, and I it helps me that I could get into this position. You know, because there was one time that. Mikey DeSantis needed 
you know, don't forget, he had to fill positions in and he had told me, you know, he had made a comment to other guys in our crew, my, uh, the, the Brooklyn faction, Scotty Javasi had said to him basically like, there's nobody else that I can't even think of anybody to put up, meaning to, to get straightened out. I agreed with him. A lot of guys at the table, it was, it was at our Christmas party. And he said, so he told Mike, he says, so where is our future? He says, you know, there's like, you know, who do we got? Like after us, where's our future? Now, Mikey was sitting next to me. He turned to Scotty and pointed to me and says, you're looking at him, right? I foolishly, and I do say foolishly, repeated that back to Patty. I also repeated that Mikey told me, I want to know your schedule because I'm going to need you. And, you know, I'm going to need you soon to help me. Foolishly, again, I repeated that to Patty. Do you know what his reply was? He says, listen, tell him you're busy at work because they know I worked construction. Tell him you're busy at work. Tell him you don't got no time. No, he, you don't want to get involved in that. Do you know why he told me that? Because he knew, obviously, Mikey wasn't looking towards him. He was looking towards me. So when everything took place with me, instead of standing by my side and saying, what do you want to do? Let's go, whatever you want to do, like I would have did for him. He took a backseat and let's kind see of hung you out to dry and for all intents and purposes, you know, threw you out there to get hit. So, yes. Yeah, so Patty is, is, I don't want to call him a Machiavelli because he doesn't have Machiavelli's intelligence, but he tried to be a Machiavelli. So uh, what about Andrew Simone? The reason why when you first mentioned uh, you mentioned Patty, Mikey DeSantis, and Andrew. My interactions with Andrew was very minimal. Here's what it was. I was at a wake, one of the last wakes I went to, that wake where I think I've said that it was like I had the plague at that, at that wake. At that wake, guys from the Bronx that I've known wanted to introduce me to Andrew. They've only, they only, did an introduction. I shook his hand, said hello, and that was it. That's my only dealings with Andrew. But, but what was what was the reputation? I never heard of them before. I had heard of Patty Red before. I heard of Mikey DeSantis before. Yeah. I never heard of Andrew DeSimone until it was reported that he was, uh, you know. The only thing I knew, there. look, the only thing I knew about him was he was very quiet um, and that his father was a, a very old-time known, well-known captain, Sally Bulk. Other than that, I didn't know much about him. You know, we we not only didn't we didn't know too much about the Bronx. We didn't care about them. Don't forget, we didn't care for the Bronx. You know, so it wasn't like you know I tried to find anything out about them. I didn't. These are just for people to understand all the the moving pieces there. Even myself. So De Simone came from a different faction, and he was put into the administration to represent that group. Oh, I no? so. What Mikey DeSantis did was a smart move. You got to remember something. What happened here is you had the base of power in the Bronx, right? They were stripped of it, and it was pulled back to Brooklyn. What, what Mikey DeSantis did is, as an olive branch, right. he put um, 
DeSimone in, in the position. So it was more like an olive branch. To represent the Bronx people that it had just gotten the power taken yeah, away. Yeah, I mean, you know, these guys, it was like, it's it's almost like spanking the dog and then giving them a bone. That's what they did. You know, um, they, they took the power away from them and then gave them a little back. Do these uh, tensions between the boroughs go back to even like when Ducks Corallo was the ball? Do they go that far back? Is this well, like a you know, as as you know, um, Gas Pipe and um, Vic with this guy Buddy Luongo, right? They snuffed they him. Killed him. <laughs> they killed him. They made him an acting boss, and then they whacked him. And uh, Anthony Buddy Luongo. Yep. So they, you know, there's a there's a history there. But the, the Lucchese family in itself is a Harlem Bronx-based family. It was always that way. And, you know. That's where Tommy Lucchese was from. Yeah, this was. That's, you know, Brown. Brown. Yeah. But so to answer your question, I think that I think that with the Vic gas era, it started, you know, that Brooklyn Bronx friction started there. Uh, let me ask one more question about Patty Red, and then we'll wrap up with a, a couple thoughts on uh, Lorenzo Menino and what's going on over in the Gambinos. I've been starting to report a little bit. Um, what are you going to say? <laughs> it, it looks like there's been some some cross pollination between the Lucchese's and the Chicago outfit. Um, I, I I'm going to just I'm going to give it to you briefly. All right. Yeah. I'm going to give you a very brief answer. Yeah. Here's what, I, here's what I'll tell you. The only thing that I'll say, and I know a lot more about it, is that the big connection there is that Patty was away with one of the bosses from Chicago. I mean, actually, actually, John, I've done some digging over the last couple of weeks on this. Patty was away with three of the bosses. Okay, but he was close to one in particular. Right. Well, uh, Solly D, Jimmy Iandino, Jimmy Iandino, and Mikey Sarno. Uh, and Iandino is the one that he's dealing with right now. Okay, so it probably was him, but it wasn't that guy, Solly D. So that was that is how the connection started. There's some other things, but um, that's that's what I'll you say. You don't have to get in. I just I know. I've only we talked very very briefly about this. My sources yeah. are coming from from Chicago on this, yeah. uh, more so than from New York. Uh, but but you know, like this, isn't, this isn't something that just happened. It looks like this is something that's been going on. No, no, just, no, no. I'll just tell you that in my time they were going out to Chicago. Yeah. Okay. So so the only thing the only thing I'll say about this is that what a lot of people don't understand is. Here's how this story will end. You'll have Miss, uh, Mr. Deloroso will not only be indicted in New York City, but it'll be indicted in Chicago as well. So that, that's how the story will end. That's, that's uh, yeah. Scott, can you contextualize what you're talking, the Chicago Lucchese thing? I, I'm, I'm in the dark. I don't know what you're talking about. So there were some reports that uh, surfaced on social media over maybe the holidays that Patty Della Russo was coming into Chicago and, you know, it was kind of like a, a power move and that he was coming in and taking over for uh, the outfit, um, which I knew was BS. 
but I did find out from those rumors that the truth was that Patty Del Russo had some or has uh, allegedly has some uh, rackets in Chicago that he has a group of people uh, looking after kind of underneath the Cicero crew uh, banner and, uh, you know, comes in there maybe once or twice a year, meets with some of these guys down in Florida and that it's, it's a, it's not anything that's adversarial. The, the reports were that there was some, you know, tension one, between. One time he was down there with a female companion that wasn't his wife who got obliviously drunk and embarrassed the daylights out of him. <laughs> so it was. Um, I, I heard yesterday I reported uh, that there was a he was there. The, la I, the last time that I'm told that he was in Chicago was in Christmas 21. And that there was a dinner with him and Jimmy I uh, on Rush Street that uh, he had met with a couple people in Florida. But again, this is not the. I just I wanted to get the story straight. And the story that was circulating for a couple of weeks was like there was this pending mob war between the Lucchese's and the outfit, which is just not true. But it does show us that the Lucchese's have some interests in the Midwest in tandem, or allegedly in tandem with with the outfit. First of all, is anything that they would want to do out there, they would have to go to the people in Chicago and get permission for. Them. They can't right. just go there and take over. This is all being done underneath, again, what I'm being told. This yeah. is all being done under the... Um, With permission. Yeah, the, purv the, the purview of Jimmy I, who's, you know, as, as OG as they come and uh, is a guy that, you know, dates back to the 60s and 70s and was a part of what they called the wild bunch and uh, is a guy that is very well connected and very well liked uh, across the country. And according to uh, the FBI right now, he's the one that Sally D is, is like what Tony Accardo was or what John DeFranzo was at the end, which is basically just a figurehead. And other people are, are running day-to-day -day operations. Let me ask you guys both. I'm just hearing about this story for the first time. Um, the rank and file in Chicago, does that, does, do they resent, would they resent that? Like New York they guys? They, like they welcomed it. That was my reporting was that like, this was something that they said, yeah, come on in. It because, wasn't like. Because Patty why? Because they could, and, they could join, just make money together. Like. Yeah. And Patty know, or Patty knows these guys from prison. He also knows these guys or some of these guys from as far back as the early eighties. Um, you know, Patty's, bust in 93 his federal racketeering bust um where he got sent to prison for 10 years and kicked out of the teamsters union some of the extorting that the lucchese's were doing and patty was running point on was extorting the main teamsters local in chicago so patty was was in with the chicago people 40 years ago so they see each other as uh you know um Amici and this. Here's what I, just, I think they see. I think they saw a guy that they knew when he was in his twenties, that is now ascended to a, a a pretty high post in a one of the five families in New York, and they see it as uh, you know as as currency and as a way former to post. What do you say? Former post, right? So um, it's interesting. I mean, is, do you think this is a parallel, Scott, to our John with the 
when I like finding out that Philly guys were operating in Boston. Well, that you know that. Yeah, sexualize it. That goes that goes back to the '90s, and then that was discontinued for 10, 11, 12 years, and then reignited, uh, you know, in the last 10 years. I think that the difference is, is that Molino didn't, didn't seek permission from the patriarch. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, yeah, and from what I heard, uh, Baby Shacks was losing his mind uh, back in the late nineties and was sending word to those Merlino guys you better be kicking up. You you we, you better be sending something up to Providence, <laughs> and that if those guys wouldn't have gone to prison uh, when they did, that that could have been a that could have been an issue. Yeah. That that uh, that uh, Minocchio was not thrilled with what was going on there now, and then Minocchio's not there anymore. He's replaced by Matty Gugliameni, and th- this is all kind of plays in to the to to what we're talking about. Matty Gugliameni happens to be locked up with a bunch of Philly guys. He gets close with those Philly guys. So when they go back to uh, turn the lights back on in the shop in New England, instead of having Baby Shacks who doesn't like them, they got Maddie Gugliametti, who's, you know, welcoming them with open arms. Yeah. Um, last thing, uh, and, and this is, again, Jimmy's wheelhouse, but we want to get John John's take on it. So this, <laughs> just, we're, we're, we're going to start or end where we started. Uh, Sicilians have have taken over the Gambinos. Uh, It looks like, based on some reporting out of New York, that uh, Lorenzo Menino, who is the reputed acting boss or street boss of the Gambinos, is under the spotlight by the feds right now. They're looking at a, 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 a labor racketeering case tied in with some Serbian mobsters. Um, we talked uh, a couple uh, weeks ago, me and Jimmy, we talked about Menino and how he was tied in into uh, the Gotti guys in the late 80s. But I want to throw it over to John. He, you know, he, he knows some stuff on Lorenzo Menino, gives us some background that I don't know if everybody has that point of reference. So tell us what you know about Lorenzo. Lorenzo started out as a regular guy. Lorenzo was not a street guy. He was working in construction and um, John Gambino pulled him from, um, I discussed with you, TG, and he was driving for him. So T- just so people know, TG was the conciliary of the Bananos under Joe Messino. I'm guessing back then he was either a soldier or a capo. And he originally had Menino on record with him. And the way that he got to the Gambinos, John's telling us, and I, you know, I don't, I believe everything John says is that he was poached. <laughs> poached by John, by, by John, by John Gambino, who's the head of the Cherry Hill Gambinos. Yes, and he became an associate with them, and John Gambino kept them around, and um, pulled them into some serious shit. Even, even a as we were talking earlier, the pulled him into some murders with the Inzerillos in, in, uh, in New York. And Lorenzo became very close to them and they eventually inducted him. And, you know, he moved up through the ranks. He's, he's Lorenzo. Lorenzo is a guy that <clears throat> there's certain guys that are liked by everyone. Lenny Di Maria with the Campinos is like that. And Lorenzo was like that. 
I don't think there's anybody that has a bad word to say about Lorenzo. In all my dealings with him, he was always a gentleman. He's always treated me good. He always conducted himself like a gentleman and carried himself like a gentleman. And that's probably why he is where he is today. Was it uh, Lorenzo related to some of those uh, Menino guys that though that were caught up in the pizza connection stuff? I, like, uh... yeah, I know the name is the same. I don't know if he is related to them or not. I know he has the same last name as them. Yeah, because well, those not... guys were, were were connected to the Gambinos. So, but it might have been a coincidence. Well, actually, know. you know, um, now that I'm picking my brain here, uh, based on my research. That I've done with Frank Panessa, another friend of the uh, of the uh, of the program, the legendary DEA agent um, who worked, you know, who made the Pizza Connection case. I mean, it was his, you know, he broke the case. Uh, he got his hooks into a guy in Philadelphia named Dominic Menino, who they called Mimi, who had a string of pizza shops, which were which was kind of like ground zero for the, the, that heroin that was coming over from Sicily uh, into the East Coast. It was going to New York. It was going to New Jersey. It was going to Philadelphia. The stuff that was going to Philadelphia was going directly to Menino. Menino was under, at that point, was underneath uh, Cesare Bonaventre and the Bananos, yes. which might make sense of how Lorenzo Menino originally started with the Bananos. Yeah, I, I how he started there, I, I, didn't know, I don't know. Yeah. But they did poach him. He was definitely poached. And they kind of cultivated him into becoming a street guy because he was not a street guy. You know, well, and that's why Lorenzo carries himself the way he does. He's just, he definitely is a by old school mind that goes by the book. And that's, and you know, that's, that's, that's a rarity for somebody who looks to follow, you know, the rules. So. Well, let me, uh, I was just going to, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, Going back to the episode we did a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned with the Lucchese's that one of the guys was um, they put him on the shelf because he 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 uh, he, he um, had a bad plea. And something Scott and I wondered about during our episode a few weeks ago, how in the 90s, the Cherry Hill Gambino or at least John and Joe, part of their, the, you know, they, they had a plea as well. They admitted that they were drug dealers. And, and I, I, I think they admitted that they were part of the mafia and they, and they seem to have gotten away with that. I'm just curious, yeah. like, how, like no, I can't I have to imagine John, Ga John Gotti wasn't happy about that. Well, it was you know the old expression, right? Money talks and you know, what walks, right? So, <laughs> okay. so you, when you're talking about Cherry Hill Gambino money, they could have, they could have, probably went on national TV and said who you are and they would work your shelf. But, but in all honesty, there, there has been in the past, a lot of guys who have took pleas and admitted their, their role and what, what they were and did not get shelved. It, it, it all depends on who's calling the shots. We could bring it back to Detroit, you know, uh, Billy Jackaloni, one of the all time legends in the Detroit underworld. Um, even though his brother might be more nationally known, Tony Jack, but Billy Jack uh, allocated in 98 uh, so he could get a shorter sentence. So instead of doing 12, he could do six and came out and he wasn't punished for it. He was promoted. He became the underboss when he came out. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 there's so many. I'm sure if we put our heads together and compiled the list. You'd be very surprised how many guys in that life took pleas and said who they were. But and I'm sure, Jimmy, I'm also sure, Jimmy, that 
You think Jack Tall? And this is we're going a little uh, crazy here with Jimmy and I's little inside stuff with Detroit. But you think that Jack Toko was cool with Billy Jackaloni going into open court and and saying that he was a member of La Cosa Nostra? I'm sure Jack Toko said, "Don't do it." But I'm also sure Billy Jackaloni said, "Well, sorry, Jack. I, you know, you can go do your one year because of your fixed judge. But I'm looking at, you know, I'm 80, I'm 75 years old. I'm looking at 10, 15 years. If I gotta say that I'm a member of the mob to only do five, I'm gonna do it. Go screw yourself." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it it all like I said. I I think that it all depends on who's calling the shots at that moment and who has to say so, who don't like it, who's okay with it, you know. And in um, Avellino's case, it wasn't taken well, and he was put on the shelf. He was ultimately taken off the shelf, and I'm sure that that ten percent of the money had a lot to do with it. Makes sense. Yeah. This was awesome. I mean, John is probably, you know, it, it, we're ranking our guests. He's in our top two or three. Uh, I know I, I, I've never had a conversation with John that I haven't come away with 10 times more knowledge I had before we, before we spoke. We haven't had many guests on three times either. So this is like uh, oh, a big right. deal. <laughs> yeah. he, is, I think he is the first. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Really, you know, that's all right live when you get to host five times. You yeah, right. Like, breaking like, new records tonight. Of, of, of Rockefeller Center. We got John in, in our hall, uh, hall of Honor, Ring of Honor. So let me just say, I want to just say something that, you know, for, for the people who may think that uh, I have, you know, I'm speaking about Patty very negatively. At the time when Patty and I were staying together, almost daily. It was sometimes it was every day and sometimes, you know, every couple of days. We were together a lot. I had nothing but respect for him. I liked Patty. We got along. We spoke all the time. We kind of had the same views on a lot of the people that were doing wrong inside of our family. And, you know, naturally, after everything took place, I'm no longer going to speak, <laughs> you know, good about him. So that's why I say the things that I do. But when we were together and I considered him a dear friend of mine, you know, I did get along with him good. You know, and I happened to like him at that, at that time. Jimmy, you got anything, uh, any closing remarks? No, I was just going to say, uh, we, we definitely appreciate your time, John. And, uh, we want to remind our audience to, to please subscribe to our YouTube channel, subscribe to our podcast, Please follow us on social media. And John, please uh, let let uh, let our audience know how to find uh, you know your podcast and video shows and blog and what have you. Yeah, I'm on uh, YouTube. It's Sit Down News, and the blog is on SitDownNews.com. And like Scott, it's also a paid subscription now. Scott, I wish you the best of luck, and I think that you're going to do very well. Um, I blog Scott's Scott's more professional than I am, and he has uh, very, very good articles. I've read and I, this, this doesn't have to be a shine session, but I'm not just saying this, you know, before I even met John, I was not everybody can write and definitely not everybody that lived the life of, uh, you know, in organized crime, uh, you know, are, are uh, you know, poet laureates. But but John is an excellent writer. Uh, you're not getting some Neanderthal that's trying to string us. I mean, John's uh, the way he the way he writes is very concise, and he's he's a very good storyteller. 
Um, he's able to tell layered stories without it getting too confusing. Uh, so I, I, I was impressed from the first time I read John uh, that that for someone coming from his background that that he was such an amazing uh, storyteller. I could tell that there was no uh, you know ghostwriting. No. So, um, so you believe so you're, you're getting a lot of you're getting a lot of meat on that bone with his uh, with, with I, what you on YouTube and then what you read from him. It's a work in progress, and I think that anyone in in with that has a writer's background or any editors out there know there was definitely no ghostwriters because because I I you know I make a lot of mistakes, and you know I learn as I go, and as you write more and more and more, you become a little better at it. You know I, I do my I best. Met, before I met John, I remember someone saying to me like. I'm trying to think who said this to me. They I said the FBI was And someone said, uh, God, he, he writes too well. That's got to be the FBI writing that. Yeah, they said it was the FBI. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, they said it was the FBI. And then they turned around and said that the FBI didn't like that I was writing and wanted right. to shut me down. I think they're a little confused. <laughs> and uh, last thing, uh, I was wearing this hat on on the podcast today. Uh, we're we're going to start trying to... Um, give you some gear to wear so let me know if you like this hat and you know, hit it in the comments if you guys are down with them that will be something that i think uh, by spring summertime we're going to be uh, having a a part of this show where you can go and and buy uh, you know t-shirts hoodies hats and whatnot with some various designs so let, let us know if you like it um and for the uh, record we'll and for the record i was the first one to say I like that. Yes, John, yeah, John was John was uh, was was a fan from from the second he saw it. So, and I want to shout out to to my uh, better half, Christy, for uh, starting to to design it. We're, we're we're still working on it. this. isn't in stone, but this is kind of where we're headed. I think in terms like of a, of a logo. I like it, so, and, uh, I, and I and I want to say that um, I don't people people may not believe this. I do not watch a lot of mob stuff on YouTube. I don't, I don't either. I don't, you know what I mean? Because you're doing this. It's it, there's a lot involved in a lot of time in putting out these this content. But I can tell you that I'm definitely a fan. I do watch your show. So thank that, you, John. It means a lot. Uh because I'm telling you, you the John Panises of the world, when you meet a lot of the guys that come out of this machine that is the mob, uh, not all of them, even if they're good people at heart. In, in the context of that world, not all not all of them have their you know head screwed on straight afterwards because it you come out of that uh, that it's a real ringer. So yeah, to see yeah. John as composed and focused and you know really, uh, I, I think you're living your best life in terms of what someone can hope for on the other side of it. And you seem like you really got to you know the way that you're approaching it and the way that. Uh, you handle it. It seems like this is kind of the blueprint for transitioning. I guess we've used that word now. Transitioning from from a crazy, you know, living the life, uh, you know, like a movie script to you know being a regular, you know, civilian, uh, you know, paying your taxes and well, the back of your wall says it, and that's what I am. I'm yep. definitely blessed, and I, I take day by day and it it's 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 a, a more peaceful life so that's that's why and not getting involved i mean and again not to go too far off subject but he ain't one of these guys that you can go jump on youtube and find a million different uh, videos uh, throwing shade back and forth and we all try to stay away from that and again john as i think the uh 
the poster boy for you know what you should do if you're trying to leverage your past life and how you want to do it, how you want to do it in a classy way, do it in a way where people can easily consume it and digest it. Uh, I think that, that John's really uh, you know paving the way for that. Thank you. I appreciate it. So Jimmy, this is it. Well, uh, Ben, thank you for for the producing. John, thank you for joining us. And we'll, I'm sure we'll have John back on at, at some point in the near future. And for Jimmy and for Ben and for John, I'm Scott Bernstein, OG Podcast Out.